We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. There's no leadership that we recognize as the leadership to follow. We're kind of all going in our different directions and focusing on whatever it is that we're focusing. Mm-hmm. There's lots of elements to that too, of course. Think about Joe Rogan in his podcast, millions of followers at this point. Jordan Peterson, very outspoken, a clinical mm-hmm. psychologist. People love to hate him and hate to love him, but he has millions of followers who hang off his every word. So there are these influencers who have bypassed the legacy media and the legacy media platforms to get their message out, speak their truth. And so there's all of this information coming at us from many different directions is my point. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 195, PH Factor, Rip in the Fabric, Conspiracy or Consensus? Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Good morning, Harry. How are things in Nova Scotia this morning? Good morning, Peter. They're good. Winter is... uh... Coming, kind of. We haven't really seen much winter so far, but uh, tonight and tomorrow, the next day, we're going to be seeing a good dropping of snow. So we're happy about that because uh, right now the ground isn't really frozen. So our horses are out kind of running around in muck in their paddocks, and it's a real mess. We'd prefer hard packed ground with snow on it, frankly. We're pretty much on the same page, it appears, at this time, coincidentally, because we're just about to get our first significant snowfall in a couple of weeks. It's been a fairly mild winter up until now. And today being Thursday, January 19th, we're one-third through winter, and so far I think we've gotten off fairly easy. So today we're going to be discussing something which you and I have touched on so many times in various conversations about the change in our social situation, economic situation, political situation, and so on. And today's topic, a rip in the fabric, conspiracy or consensus. I wanted to begin this podcast just by picking out a simple fact, which I think will illustrate some of what we're going to be discussing. And this was from a book that I was gifted by my son on my birthday recently, a book by Scott Galloway, which I had read or at least perused it. My son caught wind of it and gifted me the book. The book is called Adrift, and I'm just going to take one of many things that are brought up in the book. And it's a fact that I think will give us a good beginning to this podcast. In 2010, we spent about 3% of our working hours on our phones. In 2021, that number was 33%. That's how much we use our phones. Now, that's the average, which means that some use less, some use more, just to give you an idea of how not only ubiquitous the phone has become, but our usage of it. So, Harry, Beginning with that fact, let's just chop right in. Any thoughts on that immediate statistic? Well, sure. You can look at that as one layer or one plane of forces or energies that impinge upon human beings on this planet currently. So the ubiquity of technology, the ubiquity of smartphones, the tendency of people, especially young people, to glue themselves to the screen. Mm-hmm. So what are the repercussions of that? Well, one of the repercussions of that is an increase in a sense of isolation since people are not face-to-facing as much anymore, especially over the last three years. 
people are finding themselves a bit more alone, a bit more anxious, even depressed at times. And that leads me to an anecdote because the other day I was watching a Toronto Raptors basketball game and an advertisement came on. It was a Canadian network showing the game. It was an advertisement about the mental health of the population. And basically, a character in the commercial turned to the camera and said, do you know that one out of every four Canadians suffer from moderate to severe anxiety? So I looked it up and sure enough, there was a survey done by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Canada, completed by 1,004 Canadians between January 7th and 11th. And what that survey found was that fully 25% of the participants, mostly men, but also women, reported feeling moderate to severe anxiety, as well as feelings of loneliness and depression, up from about 18% a year ago. So you can look at these statistics and realize that there's something wrong with the atmosphere that we live in. And I think the technological side of it is just one of the big forces impinging upon our lives. Is it a conspiracy to make us depressed? I don't know. Some people might think so. And we're going to talk a bit about that whole notion of conspiracy as we go today. Mm -hmm. I believe that PTSD is a word that pops up all the time now in terms of trying to explain what we're going through, a Mm. form of PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress syndrome, which seems to be hovering over us on an ongoing basis. It seems that the last two or three years, and by the way, I know we talk a lot about this, many of the things that we're discussing today were here already. And I think we both agree that the COVID situation exacerbated existing conditions and perhaps made us not only aware, but sank us in many areas to the point where we don't seem to be able to come through it in many ways. So I think all the things you've stated also sets us in sort of a new normal or a state of limbo. Yeah, the phrase the new normal is very interesting because early on in the pandemic in 2020, after it began, that phrase was floated a lot on social media. Well, folks, this is the new normal, meaning keeping separate, not shaking hands, wearing masks, washing your hands 18 times a day, etc., etc. But it turns out that the new normal isn't that at all. It's really about feelings of loneliness and existential paralysis and depression and isolation, people not having a sense of hopefulness about the future and that sort of thing. And that's unfortunately even worse of a new normal, I think, than what was talked about in 2020. So to me, that is the new normal right now, this kind of state of limbo that many, many people feel, if not on the surface, a bit underneath the surface, if you just ask them the good questions, that comes out, this feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. Yes, and that feeling also tends to aggravate anger, the ability to motivate oneself. It's a litany of things that just piles on one on top of the other, it makes it more difficult to get back to some level of normalcy. And we talked about also whether or not, as you mentioned when you were responding earlier, regarding whether it's intentional or not, there are many who feel that we are being channeled into this modality simply because it's easier to control the masses when they're in a weakened state. With isolation also comes our inability to sort of coalesce and deal with these things collectively. So by separating, you further deteriorate the social cohesion, and you also, in many ways, 
create this global situation where the powers that be see this as an opportunity to position themselves as a power base. With everything shifting to the east as well, the U.S. is no longer as dominant as it once was. And there's a lot of confusion and fear, which may or may not have grounds, because that's the other thing you and I have discussed in the past, whether or not these things are actually affecting us directly or whether we're just in that mode. Because when you're down, when you're depressed, your perspective changes. You don't see things the same way. So you may not actually be seeing what's actually happening. You may not be aware, for example, that poverty is at an all-time low. Yeah, you've said a lot there, a lot of layers to what you've just said. I mean, so the first layer that we want to talk about is these larger forces that are either intentionally or unintentionally controlling populations around the world. So whether it's the World Health Organization passing down edicts on how nations are to handle health emergencies, and they want to have more of a say in that. And in fact, they want to have such a power that they can override what a nation might want to do and actually force nations to follow certain mandates and protocols when it comes to health. So there's an element of danger there people are talking about. Now, whether it's conspiratorial and intentional and with bad intent, hard to know, but that's one of many forces. There's the WEF, the World Economic Forum, that's often cited by especially people into conspiracy theories. On the WEF, what is it? It's a private elite members club, including prime ministers like Justin Trudeau and Christian Freeland, the deputy prime minister of Canada, global leaders from around the world in industry, etc., and they have an agenda that they'd like to see unfold into the future. And so their influence in the world in all of these areas is being noted and discussed by so-called conspiracy theorists. So there's all of these layers, the whole tech world, the pharmaceutical industry and its power and how it has saturated Western medicine. All of that has been ongoing for some time, but in the last few years has really emerged as a potential danger, in a way, to humanity. So all of these things are going on. And in the face of that, we have, as we've just talked about, a population that is feeling existential anxiety and uncertainty about the future. We've lost trust in many of our institutions. So it's a very interesting moment in time with these two intersecting dynamics going on. And that's kind of what we're talking about in this podcast is, where are we? at this point in time with all of these energies colliding. So there's more questions than answers in a way. There are approximately 4.6 billion people using social media in varying degrees. There are about 8 billion people on earth right now. This is a powerful base on which companies, product distribution, and political, economic viewpoints, this supersedes television, news agencies. They used to dominate our lives. We went to TV, we went to radio. These things are being dwarfed by social media. So things like influencers, people that can affect the minds of consumers, the minds of people in countries across the globe. So for example, somebody like Ronaldo, a mm. soccer player who has more followers than anybody on earth, over 500 million followers suddenly says something and 200 million people in 15 seconds are listening to what he's saying. The influence that these people have 
simply because of the sheer following that they have. Companies and corporations and so on are picking up on all of this, and the technology that you talked about is being used as a channel. And now, for example, people are as focused on Jeff Bezos' space program as they are on climate change. There's no comparison as to the significance or importance of these two events, but we are spending as much time on one as the other, if not more. In many ways, there's no leadership that we recognize as the leadership to follow. We're kind of all going in our different directions and focusing on whatever it is that we're focusing. Mm -hmm. There's lots of elements to that too, of course. Think about Joe Rogan in his podcast, millions of followers at this point. Jordan Peterson, very outspoken, a clinical mm -hmm. psychologist. People love to hate him and hate to love him, but he has millions of followers who hang off his every word. So there are these influencers who have bypassed the legacy media and the legacy media platforms to get their message out, speak their truth. And so there's all of this information coming at us from many different directions is my point. And to me, the analogy I've kind of come up with for this is that it's like a kaleidoscope. So we have all of this data floating around that we pick and choose and cherry pick that kind of forms itself into a coherent inner landscape, which informs our worldview. And it kind of has a shape to it. But then we get different data and a different social media platform that alters that. And there's different data that comes in. And suddenly we've got a shift in the kaleidoscope and a new landscape forms itself. A new kind of worldview forms itself. And so this shifting sense of reality that people have, there's no sense to be made out of it. No meaning can be found. No common ground we stand upon to connect to each other through. So the big dilemma is how do we know what is real and what is not real with all of these forces playing into our lives and into our eyes and ears through all this media? It's a really difficult situation existentially that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And by its very nature, polarization, which is a word that's used frequently these days, it, it just feeds that because yeah. mm -hmm. the uncertainty just divides camps automatically because people are not necessarily even thinking on their own. They're joining the camps that they think align themselves more with their own ideas or views. But oftentimes, as you say, those views are changing. I personally do not see it all bleak. I do see opportunities, even the things you mentioned, the Joe Rogans, the Petersons, the Russell Brands of the world, they're also coming into dominance, not only because they have an opinion, but because in some ways, they're also balancing what we're getting from regular news and media. There's an effort here that's being born out of what the public, in a way, also requires. We need an alternate opinion. We used to get both sides of stories, and now it seems to be more one-sided and molded to whatever effort is being made on the parts of corporations or product and service providers who are constantly battling for attention and for customers. If you're not a consumer, then you're a product. And essentially, we've become products for companies and institutions to manipulate and operate with. And a simple fact Approximately 80% of all goods consumed in the world today are making their way to us through shipping lines. Mm. Mm -hmm. We're so interconnected and we're so affected by other sources. What used to be here now comes from elsewhere. 
Well, yeah, see, that's a good example of larger forces impinging upon a changed reality. And that changed reality is the fact that communities have kind of fragmented as the decades have gone on, especially since, I would say, the 1950s. Community has become more and more fragmented. So once upon a time, a community could stand together against some of those larger forces and be more self-reliant and stay local in terms of how we lived and survived, etc. But with people isolated, what do they do? They go online to Amazon and order a book that comes from England rather than their local bookstore. Or they order a product that comes from Thailand or Portugal or whatever, rather than seeking out that product more locally, more regionally. So the lack of community, which was exacerbated over the last three years, is part of that whole process. But there's something deeper going on here, Peter, that I'd like to just mention, if I could. Mm -hmm. This whole thing about not being able to form agreements with other people, to form a vision for what we can do together as a culture, as a society, this has been going on for 50, 60, 70 years, at least since sort of the postmodernist era. And postmodernism, for people who aren't aware of it, is a kind of a mode of discourse that's characterized by philosophical skepticism toward the grand narratives offered by modernism that rejects epistemological certainty and the stability of meaning. In other words, your opinion is worth just as much as my opinion. There is no right or wrong. It's all about the relativity of things, where you stand, how you look at it. So in that kind of world, there can be no agreement really because everyone has their own point of view and that point of view is deemed equal in value and in weight to anyone else's out there. Even people who have more expertise and more whatever knowledge of a certain subject, their opinion is not considered any more valid than mine. And that's a problem. That becomes a major problem. It's a kind of a collectivism of the mind that results where we all start to devalue our own thoughts in order to make them more equal to anyone else's thoughts and opinions. To me, it leads to a kind of mushy sense of reality and an inability to really have a clear way to judge what is true or not so true. And not every thought or every opinion is as accurate as the next thought or opinion. There are some people who have a certain wisdom and perspective and understanding of whatever area they're talking about, and their opinion and their thoughts should be thought about more deeply and considered more deeply than somebody who has absolutely zero experience in that area and just has a thought based upon an emotional response to something. It just means that people cannot align themselves with each other and say, yes, we all see this vision in the same way. No, everyone's got their own unique siloed way of looking at the world and it doesn't make for agreement. It doesn't make for community. So we find ourselves isolated, essentially, and in this existential dilemma that we're in right now. I believe that we've reached the point of excess. The level of productivity that exists in the world on a global scale is mind-boggling. You mentioned the year 1950 when you were talking. Today, the world generates as much output in one month as it did in the entire year of 1950. Well, these productivity levels have also been greatly influenced and shifted by economic power and where we generate our economic power from. A lot of it's 
man-made. We print money. There are stock markets. There are companies that are reaching these phenomenal evaluations, not based on what they're actually earning. They're based on their potential and the whole idea of stock markets and buying into things. So this is increasing wealth disparity as well. For example, when Apple became the first trillion dollar company back in 2018, it's only five years ago, its total revenue or total earnings were sitting at about 225 or $230 billion. So yep. its evaluation was actually four times. And Apple had the least difference between their actual earnings and their evaluation. A company like Facebook, for example, to reach the same trillion dollar level could be earning only 50 billion. The point I'm trying to make is, is that we created these systems that changed our entire way of life and it increased wealth disparity tremendously. So you have this imbalance, which is adding to our systemic problems because we're not moving together. The middle class is no longer the source of the stability that was so prominent during the 1900s, the early to mid 1900s. The middle class was the structure. That's no longer the case. And yet I've heard conservative economists talk about how the economic models and engines as they're functioning now has served to bring people out of poverty by the millions. And that if you mess with that in some form, tear it down or over-regulate it or create alternatives that kind of mess with it, that less and less people will be brought out of poverty, in fact, just the opposite. So my point, I guess, is that with every statement by one sort of side of the picture, there's another faction that steps up and says, no, the opposite will happen. So this inability for people as individuals to know where the truth lies and to be able to discern what is real means that we end up blindly following one faction or another, and polarization is what follows from that, division in communities, and an inability to have a collective vision as we move forward. Mm -hmm. Last night, I was talking with some friends, and at one point I said, it's very difficult not to think that the world is completely screwed. Very dark thought, I know, but it's very difficult for me at this point, looking out at the world from where I am, not to think that thought with these large forces that are like oil tankers and it's impossible to turn them around or stop them, whether they're doing some good or lots of good or evil or no evil, one feels helpless in the face of trillion dollar companies, for example, and the influence they have over our lives. No wonder people have lost trust in these institutions. No wonder people have hunkered down and isolated themselves and stepped away from community and engaging the world. People are tired. They're angry. They're frustrated. And they don't want any part of it. So it leaves us in a very, very strange place right now, I have to say. And we've talked a lot about what we think ails us, or we've mentioned many, many things that are seemingly holding us back or creating situations that are making things more difficult for us. If we break it down to a family unit using the same analogy trying to work out problems within a household. When you have problems or when you're confronting issues that you cannot agree on, you have to also come to some terms of agreement towards what it is that you're talking about and what you're defining, which is consensus. I think a lot of what we're talking about comes from the fact that we don't have consensus. We don't have a sense of 
being on the same page. We're not all orienting in the same direction. And so things become infinitely more difficult. Sure. That's the rip in the fabric, in a way, is this fragmentation amongst people where we can't come together. And if you can't come together and see a future, you can't act. And that's where the paralysis comes in, individually and collectively. And then what happens is only those large forces, those large multinational companies or WHOs or WEFs, they tend to get their way because they are acting in the world. They do have a kind of shared vision within their organizations and an agenda, whereas we don't as human beings. As a result, then we feel susceptible, we feel vulnerable to these larger forces. I can only say that the last few years has, however, produced millions upon millions of people who have decided, uh uh uh, I'm not going to let this happen. I do not trust these organizations and I'm going to look carefully at what they do. So when the WEF makes statements at their conferences, it gets covered by the alternative media, especially, and their feet are being held to the fire whenever they say something like, you're going to own nothing and be happy about it. It's not happening in darkness necessarily. It's really out in the open. And there are millions upon millions of people angry over what happened over the last three years who are beginning to stand up to that. There's a kind of a global de facto war that is there between those forces and these people who are in this existential dilemma but have lots of residual anger from the last three years and what's happened over the last three years. That makes a very interesting dynamic in the world right now. Mm -hmm. In many ways, that rip has been the catalyst. So this is, again, my perspective on all this. The rip in itself, to me, has been the catalyst that has driven us. This thing that you're talking about with individuals rising and millions of people beginning to question and offer other options and discuss other things and expose things more. This, to me, is the positive aspect of all this negativity that we are constantly bombarded with. I believe that it's forcing some of us. Some of us were already that way inclined, but some of us were dormant. I use the analogy of the head in the sand, the ostrich with the head in the sand, pretending that things either don't exist or I don't hear anything. The three monkeys. Yeah, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. When you concentrate economics, power, and so on in the hands of a few, because a lot of these decisions are not being made on a human level. They're being made on an economic level. And a lot of it is also short-term, not long-term thinking. Companies and institutions that are basing their decisions on their own lifespan versus future generations. For example, robotics. Robotics were and are sort of inevitable with the development of technology. However, if you understand and you're working together and you know it's coming, you prepare things accordingly. Part of the problem is just sheer speed. Yeah. Look, when television came into being in the 1940s, 50s, there was no national discussion, referendums, or anything to do with whether that technology being introduced into culture would be a good thing, whether we should advance that technology as quickly as possible, or maybe slow that down. There was no discussion about it. It was simply dropped on the population. And as human beings, we can adapt to anything, ultimately. That's a positive and a negative, as a matter of fact. In our nature, we can adapt to the worst conditions in a concentration camp if we have to. 
It's possible to do that, but whether we should do that is another question. No discussions were had around that technology, and no discussions are really being had ultimately around AI and whether it really is needed on the planet right now, and whether we should push forward at top speed with robotics. Where is the grand discussion amongst the population? It isn't happening because of how isolated people feel, because of how helpless people feel in the face of these large forces. And so there's a point where people just give up. They don't even engage these developments and think about whether they're positive or negative or whether they should engage them or not. They just accept them as inevitable, as you've just said. You know, these things are coming and we basically have to adapt. I'm not sure we have to adapt. I think there are instances where we have to stand up and say, no, we don't want this. We don't need this right now. As in, when do we have sufficient of something? When can we say, well, we've had enough of this. We don't need more of this right now. These are the kinds of thoughts I'm having. Well, that's one of the reasons we're talking about this. My own position on a very small scale, I make daily decisions. I make decisions about where I'm going to focus my time, what I'm going to purchase, and so on. So to me, it's important that we all individually realize that we're all contributing to the world that we live in. There are some things that are happening which you have no control over, but largely all these things we've talked about are generators of revenue. A lot of these pushes that we experience with technology and so on, they're all ultimately about economic power or power of some sort, right? right? The only way that that power grows is if the people that are under that control continue to feed that. So if you want to continue to have goods that you may or may not need, if you want to continue to have a lifestyle that is only created with certain things being in place, if you want the conveniences, if you don't stop to think about what does this convenience cost me? Now, I realize that when you think about 8 billion people, it seems like an impossible task. You're thinking, you're sitting in your office and you're going like, what difference am I going to make? And I've experienced that too. I still do. And at some point, you have to come to some kind of, and again, this is just my view, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep focusing your energy on bringing this up and bringing yourself down? Or at some point, are you going to pull back and say, I need to get rested. I need to perhaps change my outlook. I need to be able to start changing what I do in my daily life. We're trying to do things from the top down instead of down up. That's my opinion. Yeah, I think there's a lot of validity in that your individual choices matter in a certain respect. On the other hand, the other side of that argument is if you're in a lifestyle where you have a family to take care of, etc., and you need to get to your work and you need to have a car and any cars that are out there are going to have AI in them at this point, basically, unless you buy a 1940s vehicle or something. And so in some respects, we're forced to buy into the technologies that are being pushed on us because of our lifestyles and because of the necessity to support our families or what have you. So there are things we can do. We can grow our own vegetables if we have the space and the land. Not everybody does. But there are lots of things that we really do have no control over in terms of the technologies that we have to engage in order to carry on. So there's two sides to that story. But I think your main point, if I can kind of go underneath what you're saying, is that we have to find more positive ways of shifting our energies in the world to go beyond 
the anger and the bitterness of the last few years to find new ways of engaging with community that is meaningful and positive. Exactly. I just wanted to share something with you, Peter. I found this poet and befriended her. She's from India, and her name is Akriti Kuntal. And she uploaded a poem that I love. And the last line of the poem I just wanted to share with you because it kind of speaks to trying to find hope in a situation which is difficult. And here's the line. Something must wake up from this aghast dawn and climb a deer onto the radiance of all things. And sometimes it takes a line like that to kind of shake you out of your box of bitterness and anger and to go, yes, there's beauty in the world. There is radiance. And sometimes we have to become innocent like a deer once again to find our way and climb our way out of this existential paralysis that we're in. And that was a beautiful line. And I wanted to thank Akriti for allowing me to share that line on this podcast. To just end my portion of this podcast, I think we've lost a lot of our relationship integration. And I think sometimes we're lost because we're spiritually missing going to a simple social event and connecting with an individual and having a good conversation or just the most basic thing. And you feel re-energized, you feel revitalized. And I think that there are those people who are striving, and we mentioned a few of them in their efforts, whether it be through podcasts like this or other situations where that effort is being maintained. And so I remain hopeful. Well, good. We need hopeful people right now. (laughs) I'm less hopeful than you are probably, but I am searching in my own way, as in finding that beautiful line of poetry, searching for ways where the spirit can be uplifted, where there can be a sense of future and a sense of shared vision reestablished among people within relationships individually and in larger settings, communities, societies. Because without that, we are, I think, moving on a downward spiral. We need to shift that oil tanker in a better direction. And it's going to take a lot of us working together to move the world in a better direction. And that's my hope in any case. The little of it that Mm -hmm. I have, that's where it sits right now. As always, Harry and I would love any feedback that you're willing to give or to share ideas with us, and we look forward to hearing from you. And if you've written a poem about hope and moving beyond where we are right now, send that along. I would be very excited to receive that, and we'll certainly share it on the next podcast. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.